We spent all our points on the Fellblade. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. It's Nathan and GJ with a very fun episode for you today. Today, we're going to be looking at the magic items of Warhammer Fantasy and a very particular era of magic items, maybe the wildest of all, and that is the Hero Hammer 4th slash 5th edition era of magic items. We have a little bit of a journey through the magic book that we're going to do, pick out some of our favorites, uh, highlight some things, maybe tell some stories. Before we get into any of that, let's start off with some news and some hobby. GJ, why don't you start us off today? What are you up to? Yeah, well, I, I'm hobby-wise, I'm not up to uh, a whole lot because most of my time is being eaten up by our newborn. At the time of recording, about uh, two and a half weeks ago, uh, we uh, got our second baby, and we're just enjoying life with uh, the four of us. Uh, beautiful baby girl. At least I think she's beautiful. <laughs> she is and, gorgeous. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and and well, that doesn't leave me much time for a hobby, uh, unfortunately. Although in those sparse minutes that I have been able to do some hobbying. I've been mainly working on my End Times Nagash model, um, putting the finishing touches on him. I, I did the cloak and the body and the staff and everything that I had, I finished already. And now I'm just working on those uh, nine books that he carries around. And yeah, just uh, slowly working my way through that. And then I have to base him and put him all together. And I'm looking really forward to that. Well, it's a it's a very nice, gorgeous centerpiece model, and I'm really pleased with how he turned out. Oh, did you? There was something that you wanted to mention last time, wasn't there? A, oh, right. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. There, there was. Thanks for reminding me. No problem. Yeah, there, there, there's this um, the very nice podcast, and it's about. It, it's actually it's it's set in the old world, and it's the history of the old world. Uh, that's that's the name of it. The the Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. Quite a mouthful. And uh, this is uh, very nicely done. He's also on YouTube, I found. Just a bit of storytelling. And uh, you have this Tavern Keeper in uh, Tylee who is telling his younger students, educating them on the history of the old world and introducing all these characters. And this is during the a little bit after the time of uh, Marco Colombo, so we're still well before the well, quote-unquote current events with uh, Carl Francis, the emperor. Um, but it's very nicely done, very nicely executed, and gives you a feeling that you're right there in the pub, and I did want to shout that one out. So that's the uh, Master Tavern's, Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. Yeah, I listened to one of the episodes on Dark Elf Black Arcs, and it's really well done. The production value is quite good. I enjoy the voices. I enjoy a lot of the set dressing that they have for that podcast. It's really fun to hear something that is set in world like that. So yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to more of that as well. For myself, I have been off and on. I've gotten myself into a little bit of a hobby funk not too bad not certainly one of those times where i can go months without painting anything just i think a little bit of burnout after doing a lot of work on the chaos warriors 
over the last month or so, and I really didn't accomplish anything at all last week. I have made a second kind of clay creation that was a chaos spawn, but I don't know how much I like this guy. He's he's an odd little thing, and I might just scrap him and, and chalk it down to experience and make another one. I guess there's really no wrong way to make a chaos spawn, but I don't know. Something something didn't turn out quite right, or maybe my paint scheme's not great, but I am really enjoying doing uh, any kind of work with clay. I think it's really fun. I don't know a thing about sculpting, but that has not yet stopped me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's the way to learn, isn't it? Yeah, that is. That is exactly. And... The other thing that I have done is I finally played a game, and this is the first time in two months, three months, some number of months, and it was the start of our Storm of Chaos campaign, and I played against Jesse. It was great to go see Jesse again. I hadn't seen him in close to two years. No, like a year and a half. It wasn't that bad, but pretty much since the uh, pandemic began and uh, nice to go out and visit with him. Jesse has one of the best setups I've seen a person have for wargaming. He loves making terrain and he's quite good at it. So he has a number of beautiful table setups that he can do. He's gotten into painting backdrops as well for his tables. It's very cool. We did a pretty simple setup for the first game and we tried one of the scenarios out of Storm of Chaos, which was the out of the waste scenario where his dwarfs were trying to hold up my horde of chaos and all of my units could recycle and basically we were supposed to play until he was tabled and then depending on the turn would be who won so if it went really long uh, then the dwarfs would have successfully held up the chaos horde and they would win and if it was very short, then the Chaos Horde just, you know, blasts through them and they continue marching on the old world. And uh, he did a great job of holding up my Chaos Horde. I could have built the list better for the scenario. I didn't actually look really at the scenario before we played. He just suggested. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, my army was a little bit slow. I went for the, the classic Horde of Archaeon. So a lot of Marauders, a lot of Chaos Warriors. It hit real hard and... It was a pretty good army, I think, for most games. Maybe just not that scenario. I should have gone more knights and chariots and things. So so did he have the uh, actual dwarf list or did he use the um, Slayer Throng? So he is playing straight dwarfs. We do have a player who is playing the Slayer army. He did include some Slayers in his army, but uh, it was just a classic dwarf army. I think I would have much rather gone up against the Slayer force, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, probably. Uh, because, man, the, the the dwarf artillery underperformed, and it still just tore chunks out of my army. And it was a it was an interesting match because everyone kind of played like you expected. So the the dwarf shooting was quite powerful. He shut down my magic phase every turn. I got one spell off the whole game, and it ended up not doing a thing. Uh, as he had a Anvil of Doom, and where he was able to keep me at arm's length for the first three turns or so, that put me at a disadvantage. Once I got stuck in, uh, my Chaos Warriors and Chaos Knights and things did their job. They just chopped dwarfs to bits. I had Vardek Krom. I'm running Krom as my general for this campaign, so he's my my one and only lord uh, that I will be taking, probably up until the final battle where he gets replaced by Archaon. But 
he was an absolute blender. Uh, he was incredible. Man of the match for me. Uh, killed a dwarf giant slayer, I think. Whichever one is the hero level dwarf slayer. And then cut up pretty much the rest of the unit on his own. Uh, absolute madman. I loved him. It ended, we, we didn't have quite time for me to play through all of the turns that I needed to to absolutely table him. But the, the chaos forces were were on the cusp of of eliminating the dwarfs by the end of the game. Unfortunately, that was like turn eight because the little buggers wouldn't die. <laughs> and uh, so he he actually got a, a major victory for that one. So I'm going to have to come back next time. My next match is against Patrick, and I'm going up against his Lothran Sea Guard list. That's the, um, oh, I'm trying to remember. It's the Sea Patrol, High Elf Sea yeah. Patrol with the Murworm and stuff. And he has a Murworm, and I know he's going to take it. Patrick is quite good with his high elves, and he's very tricksy. I'm going to have to tweak my list for that one because there's going to be a lot of bolt throwers, a lot of eagles, and a lot of things that I hate. So I my, yeah, my yeah. list would be like non-functional against him, I'm, I'm sure. You uh, will probably be shot down before the battle even begins with that list. Uh, or yeah. against that list. Yeah, it's it's one that I, I'm, I'm not sure which way to go because I... I could take like tons of marauders and just hope that, you know, I have enough bodies or I could go for, you know, the, the big beefy chaos warriors with good saves. But I, I really don't know which which way that's going to go. And I'm just going to be happy if I can like I can, I can get to grips with him at all, because that's that's <laughs> one thing that he's really good at is is kind of uh, movement and, and uh, keeping out of my way. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention about the game with Jesse, the hell cannon. So I, I took a Hell Cannon because I think I'm contractually obligated when playing Storm of Chaos uh, to take a Hell Cannon. And that thing is incredible. It is so good. It has an ability where it re-rolls its scatter dice to determine where the shot lands. And oh, oh Like boy. a Doom Diver. Yeah, like a Doom Diver, except it's a small template worth of strength 10 hits. Like, it, it doesn't even care if you're in the center or not. If it hits you, it's a strength 10 <laughs> D6 wound hit. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. I love that thing. Never not taking it. Also, if you get into combat with it, you wish you won't. You wouldn't have because it's got, like, five attacks at strength five or six. And it's toughness seven. It's It's got six wounds. It's It's so good. And it's unbreakable, right? Or is it only an eighth edition? You know what? I'm I'm not sure. I think it might be unbreakable because it. I mean, half of the the results on the uh, misfire chart are it eats crew and then goes on a rampage. So I don't see it running away, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. I played it once in eighth edition with. Uh, I played Bretonians and I charged my. I think it was my twelve strong unit of grill knights into it, and they were just held up for most of the game and, i believe and they, it. they they well they survived but <laughs> i could only manage maybe one wound per combat oh yeah and because it was unbreakable i just had to kill it and had to finish it off and it was like five or six wounds um toughness five or six as well so yeah it was uh it was pretty nasty i i don't remember what it is in 8th edition as far as points go but in 6th edition it's 270 points so you're you're paying a lot for the privilege of taking one of these things but wow is it so much better than a normal rock lobber it's it's absolutely insane oh yeah uh, i'm so glad i made one because i that thing is coming with me forever now 
even when I'm not playing Chaos Warriors, people are just going to find it on the table. Oh, just see if I can get away with it. It's, it's, it's uh, so much fun. 210 points in 8th edition. Okay, got a big drop then. Quickly looked it up. Yeah, strength 5, toughness 6, 5 wounds, 5 attacks. Okay, okay. I think it got a bit of a downgrade in stats then, because I, I feel like it's at least tough 7 in uh, in Storm of Chaos. Yeah, it's probably. Nice... Most War Machines were in 6th uh, uh, edition. Right, yeah. It's nice to play straight 6th edition again. It's actually the first time I've played straight 6th edition in years because we've been doing this Orchard edition where we're playing with the 6th edition core rules. So it doesn't feel all that different, but using the 6th edition books instead of the 8th edition books, it's kind of wild where you can just dump out a handful of dice and you're like, okay, like I'm good for the game. I don't need to roll buckets of dice. Nothing has that many attacks. Like, all the Chaos Warriors are one attack unless they're chosen. You smash two battle lines together and you pick up, like, six dice. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. I love 6th edition. I, I, I really do. I think it's a great uh, a great one. It is, yeah. Well, it's the edition I started with, so I will always have a soft spot for 6th mm. edition. But guess what, 6th edition? You're not what we're talking about today. How's that for a no. segue? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's a smooth transitions here. This is what we do. Let's jump in to our magic discussion here. Today is all about magic items. And if you want to see some really strange magics and magic items, you should check out our Patreon. The latest thing on the Patreon is a bit of an experiment that I did. If you've listened to our last episode on Let's Build a Chaos Champion, you'll kind of know exactly what it is because I did an extra one for the Patreon. And that one was a journey because not only did I end up with a Chaos Champion with tons of attributes, but one of his followers, a goblin by the name of Freg. Oh, Freg went places. And if you want to hear that bonus episode... Do check it out. It's up on the Patreon. Our Patreon is non-tiered. So for any level of donation from $1 to all of the dollars, you get access to all of our bonus content and all of the fun things that we do on the Patreon. I highly recommend that. The Build a Chaos Champion is one of the funnest things that I have done in a while. And I intend to do two more of them because I've done now a Champion of Nurgle and a Champion of Zinch. And I still need to do a Champion of Corn and a Champion of Slanesh. So stay tuned for those. Those are probably going to be straight Patreon episodes as well. Now, we actually start the episode. <laughs> The magic supplement and magic supplements, we, we we talked about this a little bit on our show about the magic phase the magic and, and phase, how that yeah. evolved over the years. The magic supplements in 4th and 5th edition were so wacky and wild and fun. And I understand why they left. And it was probably for the betterment of the game altogether and just ease of transport, ease of play. But these books were fun. <laughs> They're so fun. Today we're, yeah, we're talking about the magic items and specifically we're going to kind of go through each of the sections and just say our piece on what we think of the the different types of magic items in the game. Some are more useful than others and what these books had to offer, I think more than anything, was variety. You could do so much, there was a, an almost infinite way to make a character 
and fourth and fifth edition gets called hero hammer and and for good reason a lot of it is because of the way that magic items worked magic items worked quite differently than they would in the later eras Instead of having a magic item points allotment, which was usually 100 points for a lord and a 50 points for a character once you got to 6th edition, and I think that stayed pat pretty much through to 8th, eh? Yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, But there are, of course, some um, small deviations here mm-hmm. and there. Uh, dwarves can take a little bit more for their runic items, and uh, some high elf champions can have a... 25 point magic item uh, you have some units that can have a 50 point banner oh, but mostly it's yeah. like uh, it is indeed 100 points of items for a lord level character and 50 points of items for a hero level character yeah and then also depending upon the edition and army book you had to use those uh, 100 or 50 points respectively also for other things like the bretonian virtues or the uh, vampiric powers or stuff like that Yes, yes, that's right. And it's very different from Hero Hammer. In the Hero Hammer era, you had slots, basically, that you could equip a lord-level character or a hero-level character. Usually for your general or lord, you were looking at three item slots. Some had four. The really, really lucky ones had five, but those were exceedingly rare. And for hero-level characters, you had two. And then for champion-level characters, you had one. What this meant, yeah, though... Yeah, and for wizards, you have one slot per uh, wizard level. That's right, So a Thank level you. four wizard could have four items. And so what this did for you was allowed you to go really wild if you wanted to. Since you could have a character and just pile expensive, potent magic items and weapons on them. And make a character that costs, you know, upwards of five, six hundred points fairly easily. This was rarely the best thing to do, but you could do it. It also allowed for some incredible combos because the fourth and fifth edition lists had a lot of generic magic items. And generic magic items kind of, they didn't go away, but the, the list got trimmed back significantly for sixth and seventh edition. And then kind of rebounded a little bit for eighth. Yeah, but what you have in 8th edition, those items, they uh, don't hold up to what you get in the Hero Hammer era. Oh, no, no. No, because Hero Hammer had no breaks. There was there was <laughs> no, like, should we do this? No, they didn't ask themselves that question in Hero Hammer. It was just like, you know what would be cool? And then that's how we got 80 magic weapons in this supplement. I had to count because the magic uh, weapons section is so huge. It is, that I was yeah. just like, I, I wonder how many there are here. And the, the answer is 80. There are 80 magic weapons. Does there need to be 80? There does not need to be 80. And I'm not even counting things like heirlooms, which are the items only taken by special characters. So there's more magic weapons than that in the game. Uh, but 80 is what you choose from in the magic supplement. It's, it's really wild. Before we get started, though, I want to ask you what your preference is between the two systems. How do you feel about like a points allotment versus a item slot system? Uh, well, I can see why they did a the points allotment because that would make it a little bit more balanced and a little bit less hero hammer. But if I are just looking at for fun, uh, give me a character that I can put four or five magic items on and let me worry about cost of them later. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I like this Hero Hammer system, but it might also be because, uh, like I said, I started with 6th edition and I only played a little bit of Hero Hammer during my entire Warhammer Fantasy career. So this is all still quite new and exciting for me. Of um, course, yeah, yeah. So the novelty is still there, right? Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel the same way, even though I started with 5th edition. Like, as a kid, I never really played it properly. And, like, playing it properly as an adult, and you go through the books, and you actually, you're, you're kind of smart enough to see interesting and fun combos or just stuff you want to try out. As a kid, I, I was always very much... I was very conservative with the magic items because I didn't really understand them too much. I was I only had a tenuous grasp on the game really when I was nine years old. So it's uh, it's one of those ones where you go back and you you're just like, oh, this is a world of possibilities, right? Yeah, yeah. I would, for example, when I started out with Warhammer, I would have never even thought about using something like a Heart of Woe, where which which only goes off when your character dies, because then you're building a character to die and. That's just that. That was unfathomable to a younger GJ. Yeah, I. 100%. And now I'm thinking, yeah, uh, can I have five of those? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I give them to all of my characters? <laughs> yeah, that's a great example of something that you you don't necessarily see when you're when you're younger and you're just thinking about like mighty heroes and champions in battle because you're you're thinking about winning every combat. You're not ever really yeah. considering like oh what if i lose and you're certainly not considering what if i build a character to just run in and die and explode <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is this is one that i think i agree with you i i do like the item slots i, I it certainly allows for more shenanigans but it, I, I think it really depends on the way that you play the game i think for something like storm of chaos where i'm not playing to to be competitive i'm playing to play games and especially like themed games right that's that's why we're doing this scenario but i'm still trying to win you know i'm still trying to help out my my faction so that in the final game we've got a few extra points to play with and for building those kind of lists i like the the 100 point limit or the uh, yeah. 50 point limit it's you, you know what you've got to play with you also know that your opponent can only do so much in the way of shenanigans but if I'm playing a one-off game of 5th edition where I expect crazy, then yeah, give me crazy, right? Give me give me some some patented 5th ed weirdness. It is a yeah, neat change though. Uh between like between the eras, I, I think it's one of the probably the less thought about but more important changes that happened. I think it is. Yeah, it's uh it definitely took it from the Hero Hammer into the Warhammer era making heroes less important all across the board mm-hmm. and having this um, maximum amount you could buy items for, that helped with that quite a lot. Because uh, when I think about uh, one of my own armies, the Tomb Kings, I always disliked that in 6th edition you can have either a, a nice big weapon for 70 points or a nice tough armor for 70 points. But what you really wanted was to put them both on the same <laughs> character. Yeah. And uh, Hero Hammer allows you to do that. But 6th edition and later, they, they don't. And yeah. it is more balanced that way. So you don't get those uh, one-man armies. Yeah, it, it certainly is. One of the only things I think that bugs me about the 6th edition style of doing it was those situations where... 
you would have things, for example, like vampiric powers or chaos gifts or, or whatever have you, that ate up your item limit as well. Yes. I felt like I was so cash poor, sort of, or points poor. At yeah, those it's like times be, being because... a kid in a candy store, but with only a uh, nickel to spend. Yeah, exactly. Because at those times, especially for things that are very traditionally strong fighters in Warhammer Fantasy, vampires, chaos lords, etc., you should have a little bit of leeway to play with those things and, and make something that is truly scary. I always felt like I was sacrificing one or the other. I could either arm him well or I could give him cool powers, but I couldn't yes. do both. And I, I, I get it from a balanced perspective, but there was something deeply unsatisfying about it. Yeah, I believe they realized that as well in the studio, because I think in 8th edition, uh, most of those, you got uh, uh, a separate allowance for items and for those powers. Yes, yes. I'm almost certain that's the case for Warriors of Chaos. And I, I think it is for vampires, too. I think also too. for vampires, yeah. 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 It's just Bretonians that are suffering because they never got an updated <laughs> army book past 6th edition. Yeah, yeah. Poor Bretonia. You know what? Yeah. At least their books were good. Like their two books, like their their fifth edition book was good. And it was awesome. good in fifth edition, yeah. and their sixth edition book was good. And I, it was pretty good in sixth edition, and it was pretty good in eighth edition too. I mean, it As was, well, yeah. you know, it wasn't like absolutely uh, top tier meta defining book, but it the fact that they were playable in eighth edition, I think, is a small miracle. Yeah, they are very much playable in eighth edition. Uh, if you don't rush them into a hell cannon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we start in on our magic items here? Yeah, which of the 80 um, do you prefer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so <laughs> we're going to start off with magic weapons, because, oh my god, magic weapons. This is where the design team, I think, had way too many ideas, uh, but we did get to see some really cool stuff. I think maybe worth mentioning, the most expensive sword in 5th edition at 150 points, the Sword of Defiance, doesn't do anything offensive and i really no, that's think that's hilarious uh, it's a plus three toughness sword for 150 points and again this was another thing that young nathan just couldn't fathom like why would you do that and then of course older nathan is just like well because then your character is toughness eight or whatever and, and, and he cannot be and hurt it... by anything except war machines and other characters yeah that's it right monsters. yeah Patrick had a, a really interesting build with a Bretonian lord who was was with the uh, Sword of Defiance and a bunch of other stuff that just made him completely unkillable. It, it, it's it's a fun one, and it's one that I, I wanted to point out because it's very hero hammer. It's just like, this is the most expensive sword in the game. It doesn't do anything to help your offense at all, uh, but it makes you almost unkillable depending on what's going up against you, so... That's yeah, and, well, that's, that's something that you uh, actually want to consider for your general if you have the points, because in Hero Hammer, if your general dies, everything in the army has to make a panic test. And if your general dies and you are undead, then everything in the army will crumble to dust unless it's led by a character. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you give a vampire a sword of defiance and he's toughness 10. Good luck. Yeah. You know, unless you have something that wounds automatically. And there are those things in the game as yeah, well. Yeah, there are. Uh, so there's ways around it. And that's actually one thing that's pretty good about 5th edition and Hero Hammer is you can build insane characters. But if your opponent knows about it beforehand, there are actually workarounds to pretty much anything. And if nothing else, there's the Black Gem of Nar, which is kind there of is, a yeah. cheat code for 
just getting rid of whatever you don't like. Yeah. What is interesting, too, is there are 16 weapons that are 100 points or above. Just wild. Just wild. It is, yeah. If you think to, to 6th or 8th edition, you know, how many of how many that even scratch 100? Maybe a handful? Like, just the most expensive magic item or weapon in each book? Not even in each book, because those two I mentioned for the Tomb Kings, those 70 points that was the max for a magic item yeah. you got for Tomb Kings in 6th edition. Those were the most expensive ones, I believe. Yeah, no, you're, so, you're totally yeah. right. Yeah, not even every... Uh, army book would would have something this expensive and here we've got 16 of them now there's there's a few here that i think are kind of popular ones or at least ones that, that i like uh and and feel free to to jump in if you're if you've got yeah, well, uh, there's maybe one thing i sure. would like to uh point out a bit because uh, well we are talking about 80 magic weapons but a lot of them uh, are actually the same weapon in uh, different tiers because well, talking about sword of defiance you have this sword for 150 points that gives you plus 3 toughness. There's also a sword of unyielding for 100 points that gives you plus 2 toughness. And there's another sword for 50 points that gives you plus 1 toughness, sword of resilience. So uh, a lot of those things that increase stats, they come in uh, in three different tiers. So although we have 80 different items, 80 different magic weapons, they are not all that unique. To put it like that, you have one that gives you strength, plus one, uh, plus one or plus three attacks. You have something that's uh, plus initiative, plus plus one to hit in close combat. So I believe all of those are, maybe not a plus one to hit, can't really find that one. But all of those are in different tiers. Um, so you have, and they, they actually, they, they scale pretty well. So it's... Uh, if the plus one version is 15 points and the plus two is 20 points and the plus three is 45 points. That's Obviously, a... we're, not, we're not going to go through all of them, but that is something that uh, I think is worth mentioning beforehand. Absolutely. And that's one of those things that just wouldn't continue on, the, the, the tiers of these. And I really like that as a, as a system where if, if you're playing a smaller game, you can kind of go for that you know bargain discount version that that's doesn't do quite as much but it still gives you sort of the desired effect i really like that i also really like that for narrative play as well because yeah. if you were moving you know if you were starting small like a thousand points and then you know playing some games slowly moving up to to 2000 or 2500 you could have something like the sword of might on your character and you know maybe the the sword grows more powerful as you know the 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 games get bigger and and you you've forged this narrative for your character you know not not only does he you know move from like a hero level character to a lord or a general then you know his sort of might becomes uh the ogre blade and then uh finally becomes the uh the whatever the giant blade one the, uh, yes yeah. the giant blade and i just think that's really cool i i, I think it's a really good way to uh to have a little bit of consistency between your battles if you wanted to or, or tell a story through an item becoming better as it, its legend grows kind of thing i really like that there's so many here as well that are like they're listed in this book but they're not necessarily generic everyone can take them uh there's a lot here that are no, listed true. as specific faction only and it's nice to to at least compare them 
when you have something like this, you can say, oh, you know, I can see what a rune fang does. Of course, only Empire characters could take a rune fang, but I can put that up against other generic magic items that maybe cost the same amount of points. And I can say, oh, you know, the rune fang, you know, it's it's pretty all right. You know, no armor saves allowed. That's that's neat. And each wound inflicts not one, but two wounds. And then uh, yeah, like that's only points. against undead. That last oh, one. yes. Yeah. So but you, you can have up to 12 of them in your army. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Just collect the whole set. I mean, yeah. they're only 30 <laughs> points. Someone's done that. You know, someone must have Definitely, found a way yeah. to do that. Probably the same guy who has eight steam tanks in his army because they are zero to eight choice. <laughs> that's fair you just you just take all of the empire's good rare stuff and stick it in one army that'll, that'll win <laughs> yeah um and we've got some very characterful stuff as well as like the the ones there's a lot that are kind of simplistic so for example there's a gold sigil sword for 20 points and it doesn't even give us a full sentence it just says bearer initiative 10 i yeah. mean it gets its job across and then you have other things uh, like the Sword of Change for 50 points, which is just wild. When it inflicts a wound, it can turn a, someone into a chaos spawn. There's there's these levels of, of kind of in-depth, like you can go for the very targeted, simple items, or you can go off the deep end and choose something really weird, like the Tormentor Sword that can cause stupidity. I really like this whole thing here. The The ones that, that I tend to use the most are the Blade of Leaping Gold, which is 75 points. Bearer gains three attacks. I think three attacks for 75 points on a good character is worth its weight in gold, especially certain characters. The Lord-level characters, and I guess even the hero-level characters in this game, really vary heavily as far as like their, their number of attacks and, and just how decent they are to start. And I usually let that kind of determine what I want to arm them with. If it's an elf or a uh, like a human or an elf character, I, I tend to try and give them something to up their strength a little bit because they're only strength four. But if I've got like a if I've got my warriors of chaos out and I've got my chaos lord, he's already strength five. I probably don't need to up his strength too much. But three extra attacks is pretty nice. Um, yeah, this yeah. We can't not mention the Flail of Skulls because that's everyone's True. favorite. The, the bargain of the year, the bargain of the century, the Flail of Skulls in this. It is plus two bonus to strength in the first round of combat. So just like a normal Flail, uh, except that each wound inflicts not one, but two wounds. So it's great for killing anything multi-wound, uh, great for duels, challenges, monsters, pretty much anything you can think of. A Chaos Lord with the Flail of Skulls solves most problems that you can think of. And is, I mean, he's not cheap because he's still a Chaos Lord, so he's still 235 points, I think, base. But he, he just, he does work. He just does work all day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, you give him that and you give him later on the Helm of Many Eyes so that he always strikes yep. first. And you let something charge him and then you just take off whatever charged him. <laughs> it's pretty great. And I, I've honestly, I, I do try and and switch up what I take from game to game just to keep things interesting. I've taken the biting blade a lot. Uh, Bear causes wounds with an extra minus one armor saving throw modifier. If I can't get a halberd, you know, if I'm, a, I'm one of those orcs and goblins or something that can't have a halberd and I have an extra ten points, I like that weapon. 
What uh, what do you find yourself gravitating towards? I'm not going to say the Flail of Skulls because that is uh, definitely the best magic weapon in the game. Mm. I do like some of those more interesting ones. The, the ones that give you maybe like five lines of text. And there's not one that I think that's that's my absolute favorite. But there are some that that I have tried out and well some work, some don't. I, I do like the Bow of Lauren, which is a high elf or wood elf only item. I was saving that for my least favorite. That <laughs> was gonna ah. be my next thing. Uh but yeah. tell me why you like it and I'll tell you why I don't um, like it. And I bet they're the yeah, same sure. reasons. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, the bow of Lauren, what it does, it is a 36-inch range item for 50 points, uh, a bow. It fires a number of shots equal to the user's attacks at his strength, and all the shots must be directed at the same target. And uh, uh, this, of course, counts as being magical. Uh, I like that because I like when I build a wood elf army, I like it to be uh, shooty, and I like to uh, stand at the back line and shoot those things. Also like to load up the Hail of Doom arrow, which is probably even better than the Bow of Lauren, but uh, and it's also one of the weapons. I was thinking that might be an enchanted item or something, but uh, Hail of Doom arrow, uh, 25 points, it splits into 3d6 arrows, um, and they are all strength 4. So, yeah, I, I, when I build a, a Wood Elf army, I don't leave home with... Uh, at least either and probably both of those. But why don't you like the Bow of Lauren? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's because it's really good. <laughs> I have run into Patrick's Wood Elf Lord on Great Eagle with the Bow of Lauren. He is an untouchable Gatling gun in a fantasy game. It's just nasty what that can do over the course of a game. And... It's fine if you've got enough to enough shooting to uh, you know to kind of keep it at bay, but even then, like thirty six inch range, it probably outranges all of your shooting. That's what I always found. Yeah, uh, and it's one of those things that's just it's frustrating because there's so few ways you can you can build a character where your opponent will likely have very few ways of interacting with that with that character and it's just this guaranteed damage turn after turn because a, a an elf lord has like ballistic skill seven or eight it's ridiculous yeah it does they, they, just, they just don't up, miss uh, ballistic yeah. skill seven strength four and four attacks yeah so they're they're coming at you even without the uh hail of doom they're coming at you with with four shots a turn they can put it you know really accurate and it's just a really nasty thing to run into. And of course, they can play keep away from you all game. And then in the last turn, they can charge something really important of yours or, or you know, turn a combat Take a that quarter. way. Take a yeah. table quarter. Exactly. It's just, it's a very, very strong way to yeah, make a wood elf character or a high elf character for that matter. High elves can do most of the tricks that the wood elves can. Uh, maybe not quite as well as the wood elves do them, but but still enough to be annoying. <laughs> yeah. The we the weapons are really like it's it's one of those things that you could kind of talk about them forever because yeah, there, there's so much here. the The last thing I want to hit on is one that I I really like because it's it's a it's a magic weapon, but you can have a bunch of them in the same army, and they're actually pretty terrifying. And that's the weeping blade for the Skaven. It's uh it's fifty points. 
It's bearer plus one to wound, minus one to your opponent's armor saving throw, and each wound inflicts not one, but d3 wounds. I've had a dragon ogre just completely murked after a charge by a skaven assassin hiding in a clan rat regiment with a weeping blade. Just came out and just just shanked him. And yeah, d3 wounds, three wounds, not a problem. Just dropped him. Yeah, it's it's one that I have a lot of respect for. <laughs> Are you sure you can take multiple of those in, in the same army? Maybe it's a maybe there's a lesser version in the Skaven book. It's like a weeping weapon or something. Uh, I know I've been yeah, hit it might, with... It might be called the same thing. It might be called to... the same thing as well. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, I've got mine uh, too. Skaven Assassins. Yeah, they have weeping blades, weeping they are bl- called. Yeah, maybe it's not the and weeping blade, but it's... The Assassin have an extra minus one saving throw modifier. And um, the venom causes not one but d three wounds. Okay, so, so that sounds it's, pretty it's, much the same. <laughs> it's just a plus one to wounds. Okay, okay. So I don't so know which one have, I got hit uh, with. I don't know if I got hit with the uh, like this weeping blade or like the the actual one in the magic book. But weeping blades in general, folks, watch out for them. Yeah. This has a been a public service announcement. Skaven <laughs> uh, <laughs> always get me. I don't know why, but they always get me. The uh, Demon Slayer and the Dragon Slayer. Okay. And these are both swords that cost you 125 points. So they are uh, the, the most expensive one is the Sword of Defiance for 150. Then you have the Fell Blade for 135. And then the next one is 125. So it's it's in the top three of most expensive weapons. And they are very situational. The Demon Slayer works only against demons. Uh, hits, they automatically wound inflict d3 wounds per hit and other targets you get uh plus three strength when rolling to wound and each wound is d3 wounds as well and the dragon slayer is basically the same but then against dragons so you're only going to take these if you know you're going up against a dragon and then there's probably better things to do with your points to to make sure that those things die so yeah, those magic items, those magic weapons, they are all over the place and some of them are really good and really cheap and others are really bad and really expensive, um, which is something I would like, wanted to highlight here. That's so, a really good point. Yeah. yeah, just because there's 80 magic weapons doesn't mean they're all worth your time or even most. No, of definitely them. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Let's move armor. on to armor. Yeah. So luckily, the rest of the book is tiny in comparison to (laughs) magic weapons. There's a few things here that I think are fun. I have a problem with with armor, or at least I had a problem, and it took me a long time to get over. So one of the things that you can't do with magic armor is take more than one piece of magic armor. So, for example, if I take the armor of fortune for a, a... 15 points for a armor save of 5 plus and then a special save of 5. I can't then take an enchanted shield on top of that. And I nope. mentioned that specifically because I kept forgetting about it and taking that exact combo and then being like, oh no, I can't do that. Uh, which is, it's, it's it's an interesting way, I think, to to make sure that all of the special saves and, and normal armor saves don't get too crazy. But it is something to consider with magic armor and maybe a reason why there isn't nearly as much magic armor as there are magic weapons. Oh yeah. I was going to say that the, the the same thing also goes for the magic weapons. You can only have one magic weapon per character. Oh yes, that's true. 
That's true. There's and less of a most magic uh, items, I believe, only except the Wizard Arcana. The Wizard Arcana or, may be enchanted items. And uh, yeah, enchanted items as well. You yeah. can have more except than you can't one have more enchanted than one ward. Uh, with the enchanted yeah. items, yeah. But the wards are separate. Oh, the wards the, are separate uh, anyway. I don't know why they it are separate says that category. There. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so on the the subject of magic armor, uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of the armor of fortune. For 15 points, that is kind of my go-to for arming, even up to like general level characters. It gives you a special save of five plus, which is fantastic. Otherwise, it's basically heavy armor. Uh, yeah, for those who don't know what a special save is, um, if you only play later editions, it's called a ward save. Yes. Yeah, they're the same thing. It's just in this edition, they're called special saves. And wards are special saves and special saves are wards. You could use the two terms interchangeably and, and yeah. no one would be any more confused than they already are, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, there, there's nothing super special about that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Enchanted Shield. There's a lot of, like, kind of the discount stuff that I like in Magic Armor. I don't tend to go crazy. Like, I've never taken the Armor of Brilliance, or even even the Armor of Protection seems a little bit too expensive to me. Because it, it's oh, the only difference between the Armor of Protection and the Armor of Fortune is that the special save, or the ward save, is a 4+, instead of a 5+. But the Armor of Fortune is 15 points, the Armor of Protection is 50 yeah 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 so that one doesn't scale too well that's that's true and the armor of fortune is a bargain if you compare it to what a ward save is in uh sixth edition and later because then you pay 15 points for one point of ward save and then you don't even have the armor to go with it that's true yeah one of my favorites for a uh, not a a um let's say a hero level character is the armor of meteoric iron which gives you a two plus armor save for 25 points and it says here specifically that this armor includes a shield mm -hmm. so it, you can only up it to a one plus by putting him on a mount but uh, and, and then if i were to do it for a lord level character i'd put something on him that will give him a, a special save or a ward save as well absolutely and that's a great choice because it goes back to what we were talking about before with the fact that in the hero hammer era if you're not strong enough you can just automatically fail to hurt something it's, it goes the same way with armor saves if you don't have any armor penetration at all and your opponent has a one plus save you can't hurt them so yeah this basically yeah you say if you're taking like an empire character give him the armor of meteoric iron it's 25 points that's pretty darn cheap put him on a horse and then he's got a one plus save so anything that is strength three and doesn't have any kind of special rule about armor penetration, all of their blows are just going to bounce right off of them, which is really nice. Yeah, and then you don't even have to pay the 150 points to give them a toughness of 7. Yeah, there you go. Saving, saving points. Although, I mean, that, yeah. I, th I think arguably the toughness 7 is going to be a lot more effective. But <laughs> It is, probably, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's good if you're on a budget, right? Because you're always on a budget, yeah. really. Yeah, um, that's why I said uh, for hero-level characters. Yeah. And yeah. uh, indeed, for, for Lord level characters, the uh, Armor of Fortune is a very good one. It really um, is. It just, it's yeah. a beautiful, like, it's cheap, it's cheerful, and it's so good. One in three chance to save any given wound, you know, after you've taken whatever your normal armor save is, yeah. is awesome. <laughs> awesome. For 15 points, yeah. yeah. I'll take that every day. Yep. Yep. 
I don't really have too much to say on armor. So, no, me neither. That's only. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can count them real quick. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen different types of armor. So mm-hmm. it's uh, a lot less than the weapons. Absolutely. I'm going to do a quick shout out to Chaos Armor because yeah, I was looking at that one as well. Yeah, it's firstly I love the fact that it's always something special. And because it's such an iconic look to Chaos Armor, that it, it should do something a little bit more than Heavy Armor. In this case, it gives you an armor save of 4+, and a wizard may wear Chaos Armor and still cast spells. In Hero Hammer, wizards, depending on their, their level and how many points you paid for them, can actually be pretty darn good fighters. And yeah. this actually just helps that out even more by giving them a actual armor save. I love Chaos Armor. I think it is beautiful and wonderful. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to shout that out. Yeah, and the reason for that why um, wizards can be can, can pack a punch in close combat is because in Hero Hammer, if you uh, you start with your basic level one wizard, and for every level they gain, they also gain stat increases. Mm-hmm. So uh, you get uh, extra leadership, extra web skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness, uh, depending on how how big your lord is going to get, uh, which which level you're getting. It it also uh, scales with how well he is in, co- in close combat. So Chaos Armor on a wizard, um, you want that if you play Chaos. Absolutely. Don't be fun without it. Yeah. All right. Let's quickly hit on wards, since this is maybe the smallest section. These yeah, are... Only six. Yeah, six, six items here. And wards, they are special force fields, magical thingy mabobs that (laughs) save you from some kind of peril whether that be magic or physical or both there's only six of them and they do various things for example the dawnstone allows you to reroll failed armor saves there's the jade amulet for a lowly five points that gives you a special save of two plus that can be used once against a single wound that's actually a really useful item if you've just got five points to to play with uh for a character it's worth its weight in gold uh, the Black Amulet, I think, is probably the most famous and maybe gets the most play. I've used it on several occasions. It's one that I like for my Dark Elf Sorceresses, where I can't give them any kind of armor. It gives you a 4-plus special save against each wound suffered. And in hand-to-hand combat, any wound saved by the amulet is rebounded against the enemy that struck the blow, inflicting one wound for each wound saved. For each wound rebounded, roll a d6. On a 1, the power of the amulet is exhausted and never be used. I usually don't care about the second part of that. I'm just in it for the four plus special save because I don't want her anywhere near combat. But I quite like the black amulet uh, for wizards specifically. Yeah, and even if you put it on a close combat character, there's only a chance of one in six for each wound that it gets um, depleted. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about those things um yeah but on the other hand i am an orc player and i do <laughs> manage to roll a lot of ones when rolling animosity so fair enough yeah but i i do take this one uh quite often as well this one actually illustrates a really interesting feature of the hero hammer era that doesn't super carry on to the later eras in a meaningful way and that is the idea of magic items just running out and losing power on random rolls and there's quite a few of these kind of coming up in, in enchanted items and uh, wizard arcana. Yeah. 
and it, we might as well talk about it here. What are your feelings on on these kind of like you can use them multiple times, but you got a good chance that over the course of the battle that it might it might fail on you. Yeah, this is one that uh, younger me would have avoided like the plague wh- back in the day. Because, well, you don't want to pay points for a magic item that can possibly run out. But if you look at them, um, most of them run out on a roll of a 1, sometimes a roll of a 1 or uh, one and a 2. Take, for example, the, uh, what do we have here, the Staff of Damnation, which is an arcane item. Uh, it's it's something that you can put on one of your undead units, and it uh, it allows you to get to give one of your units an extra action charge, march, uh, fight a round of hand of hand combat, shoot a, mi- a missile weapon, and then after each time you use the staff, roll a d6. It's exhausted on a one or a two. This is quite a powerful item because, as you know, undead they cause fear. Uh, you do want to move them moving up. You do they they don't hit very hard. So every extra attack that you can give them is very welcome. It's a quite powerful item, I think, and it is one that you want to use and that you want to use again and again. So I do like that they have this sort of balancing thing in it that it can run out of power mm-hmm. and. Like I said, uh, when I was younger, I probably would have avoided these. But now I think, yeah, there's a one in three or a one in six chance that it will exhaust. And it's it's too bad if it happens on the first turn. But chances are it won't happen on the first turn. Or maybe not even on the second or the third. So then you can get a lot of points worth of... Um, how do you say you you, you can you get kill a, a lot of value. a lot of yeah. yeah a lot of value for for that for those items you can uh, definitely make the points back that was what I was going to say yeah absolutely I I'm with you a hundred percent on that I would have also avoided it just because I'd only see the downside but for your example the staff of damnation it's fifty points it's so good it's so incredibly good I, I think it's auto include if you're running undead for fifty points I'm taking it every single game because that. The upside is just so much better than the downside. And I guess that's what yeah. you look at when you're looking at an item of this type. Uh, I think it is interesting that they they moved away from doing a lot of items like this. But they also toned down magic items at least in 6th and 7th. So there's maybe they didn't feel the need to have this extra mechanic here. that This extra risk when you're taking an item that it is going to run out like that. Yeah, I, I just thought it was something interesting, and it's it's kind of a, it's one of those signatures of the Hero Hammer era. These these items, these staffs, and and other things that might just quit on you. Yeah, enchanted items here. This this yeah. is I think the second largest section. Um, I believe so. Yeah, quite yeah. a lot of them as well. Yeah. Now this is one that I don't tend to go to all that much at least the the more expensive stuff i find myself picking up things like the amber amulet which allows you to uh, heal a wound uh, at the start of a turn that the character has suffered if you're playing competitively the black gem of nar is kind of a a must. Must. you you just yeah. take it because it can it's wild uh, basically you when you use it the character that uses it and uh, an enemy model in base contact freeze in time and can do nothing until the enchantment ends. And the enchantment only ends uh, if you roll a 
six on a d6 at the start of each player's turn. So this is a way that if you can get into base contact with an enemy general, you know, an enemy on a huge dragon, some 700 point character, you can just take them out of the game, maybe for the whole game, but at least for probably several turns. Yeah. And it's 25 points. It's it's a real kind of balancing factor if you're going to play this era competitively. This the so, so, um, oh, sorry. Maybe you know that, but how does that work when you have uh, the Bear of the Black Jam in a unit and uh, the enemy general that you're jamming is also in a unit? And and those units, they, they fight and one of them uh, breaks combat and they flee and they pursue. Do these characters just stay in place, both as, of them? As far as I know, both of the characters are rema- like remain in place. Yeah. And if they pop back into existence, they will pop back where they were no matter where their units are or their units are yeah that does seem the most logical but yeah uh, yeah, you never know how these things work in uh, (laughs) no in hero hammer and a lot of these things they they are very briefly written down and um maybe there's a bit more explanation on the cards I, i know the text on the cards is not always the same as it is in the book yeah yeah that's one thing that that's one thing that irked me a little bit about the the magic supplements is sometimes for clarification you kind of have to go to one place or the other to to figure out something like i said at the beginning with magic items so many of these i think were designed because the designers had a cool idea yeah and they just they wanted to throw it in there they wanted to see what would happen balance was again not as big of a deal (laughs) in these days but yeah, like there's some absolutely famous stuff here. The Karstein Ring, awesome item. When your vampire dies, oh, he pops back to life with full wounds. Pretty, pretty good bargain for fifty points if you're going to be reckless with your vampire. Uh, <laughs> the Heart of Woe, which is just it's a bomb for twenty five points. You turn your character into a bomb when they die. Each model within a radius equal to the bearer's original wounds value takes an automatic hit at a strength equal to the bearer plus d six. And a wounded model suffers D6 wounds. There's not a lot that you can't remove with a well-placed Heart of Woe. And that's also very hero hammery to put it this way. It's not every model within so many inches takes so many hits. No, it's it's dependent upon the bearer's wounds, uh, the bearer's strength. Uh, you have to do some real <laughs> yeah. calculations here. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not going to give it to you for free. You got to figure it out. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff here. There's there's a lot of stuff that's... I, I like dipping into enchanted items if I'm looking for something a little bit more interesting in, in my army if I want to try out something, rather than, like, the weapons. Because the weapons, you you kind of have... You know, they're going to do something on a hit, or they're going to just, like, they're going to up a stat for you. Or, you know, these enchanted items can do some absolutely wild stuff. And uh, you can find some some interesting kind of counters to various types of creatures or, or monsters with something like this. Um, yeah. And then there are a lot of good um, items in here that are auto includes for certain armies. For example, the madcap mushrooms for night goblins, which gives you fanatics an extra D six uh, hits on the turn that it is released. Oh yeah. Uh, the golden scepter of Norgrim for the dwarves, uh, which gives the uh, bearer, uh, either plus one movement, plus one strength, or plus one armor save. 
uh, the bear and the unit. So suddenly you have movement for dwarves. And uh, that's something that you uh, really want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Golden Scepter of Norgrim is one is it's one that I didn't even know existed until recently. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a way to give dwarves four movement like this. This is this has to be in every dwarf army, right? Like it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Skaven Brew is a great one as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a random roll. So on a one, you basically got conned and it's not even like there's no effect. It's no, it's not even magical. It's just like some fell smelling thing. Uh, two to three, the unit hates all non-Skaven. And this is a character and hit any unit they're accompanying. So it, it, you get a lot yes. of bang for your buck here. On a four to five, the unit is subject to frenzy, which is awesome. And on a six, the unit moves at double speed and doubles its attack value. And roll a d6 at the end of each Skaven turn. On a one, the regiment suffers. Uh, so pretty much every every result but a one is, is pretty darn good. Uh, Skaven Brew is really fun. On Plague Monks, if you want to turn them into just an absolute blender, go for it. Oh no, they already have Frenzy though, don't they? There's um... Plague Monks? Uh, they might. They uh, might. They might. I'm I know they do in later editions. Yeah, there's... Yeah. Oh, the Helm oh, of Many Eyes. That's the, the one that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, you um, mentioned it. Where always strikes first in hand-to-hand combat. It's chaos only, but... Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. You just you don't even care if people charge you because you have a chaos, you have a tooled up chaos lord with the helm of many eyes, and he just always strikes first, and he's just going to end everything around him. A wonderful, wonderful item. Yeah, a lot of lot of really good stuff in enchanted items. I think it's yeah, I think it's uh, where they did their best work in this book, honestly. Plague monks do indeed have a frenzied. Oh, okay. Those at home. Yeah. Yeah, I figured they did, and then I was like, you can't. Oh, I guess you could, though, double their attacks with if you roll the six. Because then they don't gain Frenzy, they double their attack value. Well, they still have Frenzy, but... But they still um, have Frenzy, yeah. yeah. So, oh, I wonder how the, the There's order of operation FAQ works on it on somewhere. Yeah, yeah, there must be. I, I, I know that, um, for example, when you give a Frenzied character an item that gives him extra attacks, those extra attacks are not doubled. Right that's actually written in the rules for frenzy so yeah yeah i remember that yeah extra frenzy attacks are not doubled but this just doubles the attack value yeah it's an interesting one the last one i'll mention is the potion of strength it's a classic it is points increases the character's strength by plus three for one turn one thing i learned about it recently is that you have to drink it at the beginning of the turn it is yeah Yeah. so you do have to be a little bit uh, tactical with it you can't yeah, just. You need, to, you need to have a little bit of foresight. Yeah, you gotta have a little bit of foresight. Most of the time, you're gonna know when when you want to pop this thing. Uh, really good on a witch elf hero because she has like six attacks because she's frenzied. You can get her like six strength. I think she's strength four, so I think she's strength nine, uh, strength seven. Uh, I think I gave her the ogre blade once, so she was like six strength nine attacks. I don't even know why nice. I did that. She didn't need the. She needed it all, <laughs> but I did it. Uh, yeah, I love the potion of strength. That's one yeah. that I'll throw on a character in almost every list because it's so cheap and it's just fun to play with. Yeah, I think uh, I also want to shout out a couple of those items that we have left over here uh, for the Bretonians. The treasure result. I remember a friend of mine always taking it. It's a one-use-only item. The bearer gets a uh, an unmodified uh, plus two to hit and an unmodified plus two to wound. No armor saves allowed against one foe. So this is an absolute character killer. Oh, yeah. And um, of course, we have to mention the Crown of Command. Um, right, because yes. Because of a certain podcast that yeah. uh, we both listen to. 
Yeah, and shout out to the Flail of Skulls guys back in the yeah, uh, well. magic weapon <laughs> section. And yeah, uh, yeah Josh in uh, Crown of Command. Man, this is, it just goes to show you how iconic these items became that we have not one but two podcasts the, like in 2021 based off of items from yeah. the magic supplement. It's wild. Maybe we should rename the War Games Orchard. Ooh, uh, let's see. Cloak of Shadows. Uh, we gotta. We, uh, have, we need something like as iconic. Though. As iconic, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we're think about really it. We're just really silly. Because we're, yeah. we're not the most serious show on War well, uh, Talking about really silly, uh, one of the items that I always like to use is the Crown of Sorcery. Because being a level oh 3 God, necromancer yes. <laughs> is so good in Hero Hammer. You get to pick your own spells. Uh, with the Crown of Sorcery, you can still wear uh, armor. So you can have a caster wearing armor. Uh, it was advocated that this um, does indeed... Uh, magic armor does not prevent the Crown of Sorcery to work. Because it's the crown actually casting. And not the the character itself. And... Well, every time you cast a spell, you must roll a leadership check. And if you fail, you can do nothing until the next magic phase. So there's a drawback, but most of these characters are leadership 10 anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a, a yeah. 1 in 12 chance that you... The crown of sorcery is how you make exquisite narrative scenarios. Yes. You could have like an empire general with this thing on and then take a mix of things from the empire book and and summon up undead during the game you could have like there's there's so many ways to work in like oh this you know this evil character has become a necromancer and you've got to stop him i i love the crown of sorcerer i'm so glad you mentioned that one yeah it's one of my favorites i i like to take that one as often as i can I, it can't be that often at 125 points that you find uh, no that's true space for that but i i do really want to take i've never taken it so i'm gonna have to make it a prerogative at some point yeah, do it. All right, shall we move we... on to Wizard, Wizard Arcana? Arcana? Yeah, Wizard Arcana is interesting. So this is enchanted items, but aimed more at wizards, as you might guess. Yeah, and... well, what in later editions has is known as the arcane items. Yes, that's so. Exactly these are wizards it. only, and uh, you can have multiple of these as well. Yep. So there's just just a couple I want to highlight from this one. There is what I think might be the worst item in this book maybe i don't know there's there's a lot of really bad items but this one might take the cake and it's it's actually a lizardman item which is odd because lizardmen are really good in fifth edition uh this item though the bane head is a bit of a stinker firstly it's 50 points and at the start of the game you nominate an enemy character and roll a d6 on a five plus they are baned any wounds suffered by a baned character are doubled it is a one in three chance to double the wounds on a yeah. character for 50 points. Why? Why does this exist? I hate it. For for half the points, I might consider it for something fun. Like if I had 25 points to just throw away. At 50 points, absolutely not. Do you know how many po no. skinks I can get for 50 points? It's a ridiculous number. Uh, and skinks are great. So yeah, that's what I wanted to point out. Uh, another one that I, I actually really like is just below it, the Book of Asher. Oh yeah, that's a very good one. Yeah, this is one that I've had cause to use on several occasions. Uh, the bearer gains one magic level, up to a maximum of four, and the wizard may take spells from any single race's deck. You can have a lot of fun with that. And yeah. 
it adds something interesting, some uh, a twist on one of your wizards, something that maybe your opponent wasn't expecting. You'd have like a high elf that, that's got a mix of like high magic and dark magic because of this. You know, you can do a lot of really silly, fun stuff. I like it a well, lot. Well, uh, it, it, you may take spell from any single races deck. So this particular high elf mage can only use dark magic then. Okay, so I'm still mix, into mix it. Them up. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, yeah. But if Although, you wanted you're, to uh, gain access to another spell deck that you don't yeah. usually, this is this is a great way to do it. What do you think of the Book of Nagash then? Because uh, that is at the, at the top of the page. It's yeah. it's a 100 points item. It raises the magic level of the necromancer with the necromancy spells by one. I could see it in big games if you wanted to get that level five. Yeah, you know. Uh, because, uh, you know, it does give you some advantage when, when casting and dispelling to have that extra magic level over your opponent. It's a lot to pay for, certainly. I guess you, you get the extra spell with the magic level. Oh, yeah, but I because don't know. It's, it's similar to the Book of Usher, but I think for 50 points, Book of Usher is way better, even though it caps out at four. Yeah, yeah, I definitely four. agree with you. I could see the Book of Nagash being a very situational thing. If I'm playing like a really big game with Undead, I might want to throw it on like my my best necromancer. Yeah. Other than that, 100 points. Yeah, I don't think I'm touching that. No, me neither. No, but uh, because it was doing something similar, but uh well, it's definitely not as bad as the Bane hat, but it's uh, <laughs> No, no. Right up there with the the things like the the Dragon Slayer and the Demon Slayer. A lot of points and not much use in them. Yeah. Uh, we should note that this is the area of the book where you'll find some of the like the absolute classic stuff. So uh, your various scrolls are in here. Yeah. Your uh, power scrolls, dispel scrolls, and uh, you, you get stuff as well, like the, the upgraded versions, like the destroy magic scroll, which is pretty cool. I actually like destroy magic scroll. I've taken that a couple times, and uh, it's... It's really like your opponent really learns to fear that thing if you if you get yeah. lucky with it. And then uh, in this era, you could also draw a destroy magic guard. So yeah, um, that's nasty. That's so nasty when that comes up. Yeah, there's there's a real possibility that uh, the other guy is losing spells. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What I'd like to mention here are sure. uh, actually two classes of. Uh, items which are the staffs there are a lot of staffs which are like um well i already mentioned the staff of damnation but there's also a staff of osiris and a staff of lightning and these are basically like bound spells that have a chance of running out and one i would like to mention are the familiars which were not included in the fifth edition box set but you did get them with the fifth edition chaos supplement mm -hmm. and the familiars are that's something that's been dropped in later editions, I believe. These are actually you could still extra get them little, for chaos, but not. For... Oh, you could, but but yep, also yep. as as uh, as separate little but models. No, not as separate models. Uh, no, so right. I'm taking actually. I've got a power familiar in the Storm of Chaos, and you can represent it by a mo with a model if you'd like. But the model doesn't actually like it's a reminder token, basically. Yeah, it, it has no stat line or anything like that. It it just gives you its effect. Uh, True, but, I, but I, here in Hero Hammer it does. It does have a stat line. It mm -hmm. can be attacked. Uh, it can be killed. It costs you 50 points. And um, that's something that's, I think, really, really nice, really characterful. And yeah. then some of those iconic characters came with their own familiar. You have uh, the Fae Enchantress with a frog. You have Neferata with a uh, 
uh, with the cat familiar. You have a lot of those nice chaos familiars. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. were they were fun little models. It was nice to see like the the sculptors could just do whatever little thing they wanted and and call it a familiar. And yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had some of those. Yeah, the warrior familiar is a really fun one. It's twenty five points, but he's actually pretty beastly. And uh, it is, he's yeah. got always strikes first and, and will interpose himself if his uh, his caster is attacked. And he's uh, movement four, weapon skill five, strength four, tough four, one wound, initiative six, two attacks and leadership ten. Like he's not got any equipment or anything, but I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, yeah, I haven't haven't got a lot of experience with the familiars uh, in this edition, though, unfortunately. It's like the enchanted items, like you can find a lot of fun kind of game altering stuff here like stuff that's going to switch it up give your opponent something to think about give you something fun to play with the cloak of mists and shadows i'm going to mention for anyone who oh, i'm glad to do yeah watched our game between me and patrick on the youtube channel patrick made a great use of the cloak cloak of mists and shadows on his mage he had a it was like a level one mage and he put this item on him and what it does is it allows you to move 24 inches in the movement phase, ignore movement penalties, and become ethereal. And so what he did with his mage was not cast with it, but he threw it up the board and into my dragon ogres. And my dragon ogres were the only unit that I had that battle that didn't have any kind of magical attacks. And so he was able to hold up the dragon ogres. He couldn't do anything because this was like a level one mage with one attack. And it was wild because... He just basically planted him there, and then my dragon ogres had to just fight this ghost, uh, basically until he was ready to deal with them. And it was, uh, it was a really, it was a really cool move. It wasn't one that I had ever seen before, and uh, it was a really good use of this item. And uh, I hate him for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very situational in that way because uh, you can still, you still have to do combat results. So if you do this against a unit with uh, three ranks and a banner, then uh, chances are your mage will flee at some point. Yeah, and yeah, might and even be overrun. You know what? It was, it was the perfect situation for it because there was just three dragon ogres. We weren't playing a big game, uh, so it was just three dragon ogres, and the, so the combat resolution was just any casualties that I do, which for dragon ogres is usually fine because they're big and nasty and they do casualties, uh, yeah. but they can't fight a ghostly elf who's just standing there laughing at them <laughs> yeah yeah but the real use for this cloak of mist and shadows is to uh, move up and and position yourself uh, somewhere along the enemy battle line and then throw something in it like a uh, purple sun or something like that, that that just plows through multiple units that's how this is most often used i believe Absolutely, yeah, like that kind of positioning for the for the big spell. Yeah. Um, for sure. All right, shall we go magic standards? Let's do that. All right. Magic standards for this era, I actually find kind of limited because there's a number of them. Uh, there, you know, it's, there's not like there's not a lot in here. There's, there's probably 20, 25 by the looks of it, but so many of them are faction specific that if you're yeah. looking just at the, the the general list you're actually not looking at a lot here there's there's a few that i think are pretty good that you you can kind of make uh, an argument for depending on what unit you're putting them on banners more than anything else are very situational to kind of the unit that you're taking them 
Um, I like the banner of might on a lot of elite units, since usually the best that you are doing is hitting on threes, regardless of how high your weapon skill goes. The banner of might is 50 points, and or the unit carrying it adds plus one to hit in hand-to-hand combat. I think that can be worth it if you've got something that hits really hard and you want to get that first turn or that, you know, that first round break. You want to make sure you're hitting as much as possible. Something like a, a unit of shock cavalry can do well with that. The banner of defiance can be a good one as well. Uh, unit counts double its normal rank bonus in hand to hand combat. So something that for your anvil unit that's just going to sit in, in the middle of the table and try and claim all four quarters, you could do something like that. They're all kind of very situational. But there's some really good stuff here also. Yeah, there, there yeah. are some nice banners. Um, uh, one that I like when I have the points for it is the battle banner plus D6 combat results. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big um, one at 100. That's an easy way to... Yeah, it's 100 points, that's true. Um, but it's a, if you have a big unit and, and you're going big or going home anyway... <laughs> then I take the battle banner. If I have a smaller unit, it's probably going to be the um, the banner of defiance or the war banner for plus one combat results. Yeah, and there are some of those faction-specific banners that you just don't leave home without. The bad moon banner for the night goblins. Oh my god, the bad moon banner uh, for the night yeah. goblins is not okay. Yeah. It turns <laughs> It turns like goblins, who are terrible, into absolute beasts. Yes. Because in, in this era, you can give them great weapons and then you give them the bad moon banner and then they don't care about striking last because they're automatically striking first with great weapons. Strength five goblins. And you've loaded the first rank. Yeah, the first rank of your goblin unit with a bunch of cheap characters. And you just you just chop everything up with your psycho little goblins who are just too fast. I love it. It's so yeah, good. Definitely. And uh, also a shout out to the um, the Doom Rider banner for the uh, undead skeleton horseman. Yes, um, yeah. I think that's an auto automatically in the first round of combat for twenty five right? points. Yeah, like hitting automatically is wild, and that is their biggest weakness because their weapon skill too. Yeah, weapon skill skeleton too, horseman, but they have do they have spears or lances? I think they have full lances. I think the skeleton horsemen have spears. They have spears, okay. And the, but their strength uh, four, which is decent. Uh, with the spears when they charge. Uh, I'm, so. I'm not sure if they can have lances. They they might be able to take lances. Uh, yeah. Or I might be confusing things. Because later in the Tomb King's era, the skeleton horsemen can only have spears. Let me see if I can oh, that find could it be. real quick. Uh, while you're doing that, I will mention the banner of sorcery. This is one that gets a lot of play. Both of myself oh, and yeah, Patrick this, actually this... take this one a lot. It stores D6 wins of magic cards at the start of the game, which may be used by friendly wizards within 12 inches. Winds of magic cards are always... You never have enough of them. So anything no. that gives you more winds of magic cards, think about it. Because casting spells is harder than you think. Uh, a power three spell... With, with the number of cards in the deck that aren't power cards... Getting three power cards in a single turn can be pretty tricky. So if you can pull D6 cards at the start of the game, and then you've got them when you need them, you take keep the wizard close to that unit. It's really, really nice. I like it a whole lot. And I kind of wish there was a like a banner of sorcery in sixth edition that was a item that that was a generic item, because just only having having so few power dice against yeah. Jesse's dwarves. God, I wish I could have just tapped into some more <laughs> magic. 
Uh, I don't think it would have helped me, though, because dwarfs have such an incredible dispel pool in 6th uh, edition, especially if you get them with a anvil like Jesse did. You should grab uh, Wurzak, the orc special character, the savage orc shaman. He has this uh, squig on top of his staff, and he can store up to two power dice or dispel dice, and, and they Ooh. are released in the next turn. I wonder if anyone would notice if I ran him with my Warriors of Chaos. <laughs> yeah. Well, just say, just mix them up a little bit and say, yeah. well, Chaos can take Orcs and Goblins as allies. That's true. That's, that's, that's true. Wink, wink. Hey, and in Old Hammer, I mean, you could just fall to Chaos as an Orc or Goblin. No, it's yeah. a thing. So. Yeah. Uh, by I the like way, it. they can have lances, the um, oh, okay. uh, undead skeleton horse. Yeah, so you get, you get a bunch of strength five hits on the charge that are auto-hitting. Mm, I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. But these are only for the horsemen from the undead book, not the white cavalry from the vampire book. No, no. And I mean, this, thank uh, God. Because the, for. Yeah. the white cavalry are a lot more competent than the uh, than the skeleton horsemen. Yeah, the the magic standards they're they're fun. There there's not as many of them as you think they are, but some of the races have just incredible ones that that you'll want to take yeah. a lot. And I think that brings us to our but very last. If if I can oh, make sure. one little mention of the banner of arcane warding, which is also one that's a hundred points. I uh, it was a fourth edition game that I played it in, or at least I played against it. Um, we uh, it was against uh, Joshua from the Crown of Command, and we uh, drafted our magic items. And I believe he got the banner of arcane warding, and it's a very nice banner. Every time a spell is cast on a unit with the banner, uh, you dispel it automatically on a 2-up and then you roll a d6 and on a 4-up it's redirected to a new target and uh, you choose an enemy and you roll 46 inches and see how far the spell is getting and is rebounding and I played against this in, uh, I believe it was in that 4th edition game and I also played against it in an 8th edition game and it's pretty much the same in 8th edition and it's just so good and so frustrating if you have some wizards that want to take out uh, the enemy general and every time you cast a spell it's just deflected by this banner mm. so yeah it's uh, it's a real fun one to try out if you uh, have the points for it that's cool that's, it's, you're, you're a bigger spender than I am for banners that's really <laughs> yeah well funny, the, the, this like, was I'm... um uh, this was drafted so we didn't uh oh, we, we right. built our I armies still... and we didn't uh, include points for magic items we just said well each of us gets a number of magic items drawn at random so you can have either very good ones or very bad ones or a mix and uh... i need to try that sometime because i think i yes, would really enjoy fun. that way to play it is yeah and it would make you try out some items that you otherwise wouldn't, right? And see if you can get them to work in any way, shape, or form. I always like that, to just try those underdog items that nobody uses and see if you can find a use for them. Mm-hmm. Usually I can't, but I, I, I always like to try. Yeah, oh yeah, it's always, it's always fun, right? Our last stop for today is Bound Spells. Yes. And we've got again this is this is one of the smaller ones we we've got a kind of a a handful basically it's all on a single page uh of items here we've got some really fun and and kind of different things like the bound spells here are a little bit wild uh in in terms of what they do and, and how they do their thing and i guess the the inbuilt issue with bound spells is that it, it's a positive and a negative the it they can be dispelled. But yeah. what means what that means is that if your opponent wants to dispel these, like they've, they've got to 
they've got to make sure they have the the dispel card or the ability to to do that so you can kind of use it to to overload their magical defenses a bit which is nice and that's kind of what you use bound spells for in in any edition yeah because most of those bound spells are not very good <laughs> no no there's there's not uh, in terms of favorites here i really I, I i can't really say for for efficacy of a lot of these i i i think there's there's a lot here that is already or that is is not stuff that you're you're gonna kind of auto include in any list i do love the pipes of doom firstly for the name it's 75 points the spell may be cast at any cavalry unit within 18 inches the unit suffers d6 strength four hits victims may not charge this turn or next turn that isn't great for 75 points i just i, I love the idea and because i always imagine them as bagpipes and just like yeah, that they're just messing with they, the horses right be. yeah and being able to shut down a cavalry unit and make it so that they can't charge is pretty valuable i don't know that it's 75 points valuable but it's one that i always kind of want to take because it just seems like it'd be a really neat utility thing to have happen it's again very situational uh, the other thing is the the classic Skaven brass orb is here, and uh, this is wonderful. You you just throw it uh, within eight inches of the bearer, nominate a target, roll the scatter die, and uh, if you get a hit symbol, then you're good. Otherwise, the orb scatters D3, and place any of the round templates from Warhammer Magic where the globe lands. The Warhammer Magic templates, there was like eight of them, and they all had different neat things printed on them, but they were all the same size. And they were all about the size of the the small blast template, roughly. And uh, each model under the template rolls a d6. If they roll more than their initiative, or a 6, they are killed. No armor saves allowed, remains in play, and uh, it moves in the magic phase. The brass orb is always this wonderful boogeyman of an item. Yeah. That you're just like, god, I, you know, I hope there's no skitter-leaping skaven with a brass orb ready to just nuke my slam. Because uh, it's always your slan. It's 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 yeah. always your slan that they get. Yeah, those are the two that that I like. I do like the claw of Nagash as the idea of the item of like Nagash's hand. You just found it somewhere. <laughs> You've got it. You're running around with it now. But yeah, like go scratch your back. Yeah, I basically never take bound items in in fifth edition. Patrick's taken a couple, and he's, he's I think he's done all right with it. The the orb of thunder. I think is maybe the most useful of these prevents flying creatures flying high uh, creatures already flying high cannot descend that could really mess with your opponent if they've yeah. got something that wants to you know uh, use those rules but yeah I've just never really seen a lot of value for the bound items they tend to be pretty expensive for what they do yeah that's true and, and most of them they have uh, one use only or three uses only and well three uses is still not bad in a game with six turns um but i don't have too much experience with these i usually don't take them and what i'm a bit curious about is why they have decided to make some of these bound spells into their own category and some others into items like the uh, aforementioned uh, wizard arcana staffs or uh, you have a a banner that can shoot lightning bolts mm. So also that that ring that can uh, oh no that's a different one. I'm thinking about a a ring you have in uh, later editions that contains the uh, fireball bound spell. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah, uh... it is really odd now that you mention it that that these are taken 
out of everything else. But yeah. there are a bunch of things in the other categories that do basically the same thing. And, yeah, that aren't uh, actually bounce spells. Yeah, that aren't bounce spells at all. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a really good point. For example, the Banner of Rod, it, it literally says, this bounce spell may be cast in a magic phase. And it shoots D6 lightning bolts within uh, from the banner. So, yeah, I, I don't know why they did it this way. Hm. Yeah, that's wild. That's really wild. Yeah, yeah it's it's so interesting the 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 possible combinations of of things that you can do with this book i just i I just think it's always so fun and like most i guess the really sad part is that most things don't get used because they're there's clear winners and losers in each category and that's kind of the that's kind of the downer of this book is that some things are ultra competitive and ultra efficient as far as points go and, and what they do and the effects that you get and then some things are just like this is for funsies <laughs> yeah and... when you talk about balance don't look for it in the warhammer fifth edition magic supplement no no please do not do that you will spend your whole life looking <laughs> so before we wrap things up today we have a game show for you guys this is me i'm gonna be quizzing gj on some of the famous items from warhammer fantasy and this is called who wore it best what we're going to be doing for this game is we're going to go and i'm going to give you an item from the warhammer magic supplement from fifth edition and what i want to know is what special character has this as part of their equipment in oh, no. any army book. So, for example, if I said the Karstein ring, it would be yeah, that, Vlad von Karstein. That would be Vlad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and they're they're all like that. Uh, so I have two. Okay, I, I I know some of them definitely, but it's going to be a challenge for me. All right. So I think I have nine here, and yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how you do. I I don't know if this is going to be like overly ridiculously hard or if it's going to be. Uh, I, I think you'll know maybe more than you than you think coming off of here, though. So all right, let, let, let's see. Yeah, let's give it a can, try. Uh, what you can throw at me. Cool. All right. Question number one: Who wore it best? The flail of skulls. Oh, that's an easy one. That's Cetra. Yeah. So you're starting things off easy. Yeah. Building your confidence. Uh, that's what we my do boy. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I I knew you'd get that one. All right. <laughs> Next up, the blade of leaping gold. I have absolutely no idea. It's, it sounds like it might be a a high elf or something. It um, it sounds like that. I will. Uh, I can. I do have a hint for this one, uh, if you'd like it. So yeah, sure. Okay. So the hint for this one is uh, it appears in the same army book as the Flail of Skulls. Really? So, it, so yeah, it appears it's alongside Cetra. Yep. Oh, who would have that then? I know I've read through those characters a couple of times, but it doesn't... Um, let me see. It's not Krell. It's not... I don't think it's Vlad or Isabella. I'm not even sure if Isabella was in the 4th edition Undead book. Is it uh, um, uh, Dieter Halsnicht? Ooh, Doom good guess. He had a uh, Chaos Rune Sword. So it's actually the Red Duke. Oh! Yeah! Yeah, with I, his I blade didn't know that. Yeah. So he is, yeah. So no, he it, it was it was a total a total wild guess uh, for me. Oh, okay. And and yes, Isabella is in is in that book. 
But yeah, yeah. So Blade of Leaping Gold was the Red Duke. Okay. Next up, the famous Heart of Woe. Who is the? I know. I also don't know this one. All right. Uh, um, I, I do have. Uh, I was gonna say I do. I do have some hints prepared for these. So. Um, oh, I'm I'm, I'm glad for that because I'm. <laughs> uh, can I buy a hint? You can buy a hint. They're they're totally free today, actually. So. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you could always like PayPal me some if you wanted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The heart of woe belongs to an elf. Of course it does. Um, I'm thinking that this will be a dark elf then. I think you're on the right track. Uh, but which of those dark elf characters? I'm not really familiar with those. Uh, I, I think this might just be something that's... I, I'm, might be Morati. Oh, that's but a good guess. Probably not, but I am going to say Morati. Okay. Uh, good guess. It is Shadowblade, the master assassin. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds so logical when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it was. It's interesting to see that with him too, because uh, I always just think of him like because he's he's so good at his job. I'm just like, well, why do you have the the exploding die <laughs> thing? Uh, next up is the bands of power. I'm thinking this is an empire item. That would not be quite the right track. Okay, then I'm not going to say uh, that it's an empire item. No, I'm also <laughs> going to need a hint for this one. Okay, okay, I got a couple here. Oh, I'm so bad at this. So this, so the hint for the bands of power is it belongs to someone in the same vocation as the last item, which I could and have written much more simply as it also belongs to an assassin. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how many assassins do we know? So that would probably be uh, Skaven then, uh, which would automatically lead me to Deathmaster Snitch. Yes, Deathmaster Snitch. I think Snitch is easily one of the best special characters from 4th Ed. He is legitimately terrifying and yeah. reasonably points-costed. Uh, he just comes at you, and he's got these bands of power. Also, he can use them like three times a game. It's, it's wild what Snitch can get up to. He's he's terrifying. All right, this one I, I'm gonna I'm going to insist that you must get this one right, uh, since you are a fellow Orc and Goblins player. Morgor the Mangler. What uh, character yeah. is Morgor the Mangler? It's not Azag the Slaughterer, I know, or at least I guess. Yeah, I should get this right, but I started Orcs and Goblins in 6th edition, so... Is it... No, it's not Morglum Snapper. I know there are some of those Orc special characters that are not really very special at all. <laughs> there are, there are. Uh, I, I could... I do have one hint but for this th That's one. just me stalling for time, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, please do, give me sure. a hint. Alright, so this special character appears in multiple eras of Orcs and Goblins army books. All right. So he is one of the big boys. He is one of the big boys. Yeah. Well, now I am really, I, I'm, I'm actually, actually drawing a blank as to which orc and goblins character there are. It, I feel that th this should be an orc. This is definitely an orc because Morgor the Mangler is orcs only. Yes, this is definitely an orc. Uh, we don't have any savage orc special characters. So we have Azag the Slaughter. We have Morglum Necksnapper. Oh, you're forgetting a very important mm. historical orc. I am. Maybe burned am. down Solund that one time. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I can't, uh, 
<laughs> this is terrible. Please, please edit this, uh, uh, redact this a little bit because I, I just can't. The I can hear think the of suffering. the name. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, 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 a back Gorbat Iron Claw. There you go. Is it? There, yeah, yeah. You got there. You got there. Oh boy, that was a. Wow, that was a difficult one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is um, basically something that I I didn't mention at the beginning, uh, but because I uh, I have this uh, nice little baby hobbit running uh, well not not actually running around the house but lying around the house, <laughs> I have to um, my wife and I we we divided labor so I usually take the evenings because I'm an evening person and she takes the mornings, which means that I'm most nights I'm alone downstairs. Um, with uh, w- with my little baby girl, and I've been using that time to watch uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, the extended editions, with uh, just the regular movies and with the director's commentary, and and I'm going to watch the appendices and and stuff like that. So there are a lot of orcs in there as well, and I'm getting my orcs mixed up: which one was Warhammer and which <laughs> one was Tolkien. That could be so. Tricky, that's yeah. um. Yeah, a uh, very long story to say that I am absolutely terrible at this game you device, which means it's a good game. <laughs> uh, I I don't know, I don't know. I see because now we're coming we're coming to the to the last few, and uh, two out of the three of them were the ones that are just like, oh man, these are difficult. I don't know. Uh, so okay, yeah, next one. Try me. Is the Morning Star of Fracas or Fracas? It's, it's, it, uh, yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, I know that's a Bretonian item. Yep, yep. Um, I'm thinking, uh, what's he called? There is this one dude with a with a with an actual flail or a morning star. Is that uh, you're, you're thinking Baron, of the right. Baron Odo? Yes. Well done. I would not have gotten that at all. I mean, until I looked it up for this quiz. Yeah, yeah I was thinking Duke. At- Theodric, but he is a sixth edition character, I believe, and he carries an axe. So I was a bit confused about that. But well, maybe he's also in fifth edition. But he's got he got a model in sixth edition where he has an uh, has an axe. But uh, oh, yeah, Baron yeah. Odo. So next one is I think this is might be an easier one. Uh, Storm Demon is the name of the weapon. Oh, that's um, that was also a Skaven weapon, wasn't it? Yep. I'm just fishing for hints now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Was this Thankwall? No, it wasn't Thankwall. I'm not too familiar with Skaven. I know they have some lovely special characters and some lovely um, models, but yeah, I am going to say Thankwall, because All why right. not? So not Thankwall, but you you weren't far off, because it is the the chief warlock engineer, Ikit Claw. Oh, Ikit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, last one. This is the Sword of Change. Ooh, Sword of Change. That's change only. Which change characters do I know? I will give not you too many. I will give you a hint. The <coughs> character themselves does not have the mark of Zinch, though they do have the Sword of Change. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They feature in the Champions of Chaos supplement. This is another one that I thought was quite difficult. That's why I'm, yeah. I'm being generous with the hints. I'm I'm thinking it might be Azazel, but I'm not sure. Azazel's not a bad guess because uh, he is from that supplement. Uh, it's Count Mordrek. Uh, Count no, I, Mordrek I the Damned. Yeah, he only appeared in this supplement. That's why he was like the last one, because he was the hardest one. He's <laughs> a really interesting... He's basically a living or like a sentient chaos spawn encased in armor. Like he's always... His form is always morphing. And he was he was cursed by all of the gods. He can't die. 
and he just kind of goes around being sad and killing people. Uh, he's, even, he's not even yeah. like into it. He's just like he goes around <laughs> and he, he kills people because he's trying to like get back in the Chaos God's favor. But they've just already made up their mind that they're, they're you know, uh, they don't like this guy. And so oh, he goes so around tragic. like fighting in battles and stuff. And he's just like, please. He, the only re- reason he wants to get back in their favor is so he can finally die. It's tragic. Yeah. It's it's a really sad, grim, dark character. But yeah, maybe that's why they cut him out because he was too grim. It could it could have been. Could have been. Or maybe because it would inspire too much jealousy from mm. all of us who have too many models to paint <laughs> in one lifetime. Or po- <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> wow, we went real dark there. Okay, <laughs> I, I had a bit, but that's much better. That was good. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's gonna do it for this game. How, uh, how did I do? I, I didn't uh, uh, keep score. So we okay. Yeah, I didn't keep. Uh, I almost kept score, which is to say, I did not. Uh, so we got that. Uh, so we didn't get Aikid Claw, but we did get Baron Odo, and we got the foil. So we got one, two, or five. Five of nine. All right. So. Yeah. Yeah, just over half. Yeah. So right, not, I'm, not too I'm, shabby. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually quite pleased with that. I yeah. thought and I this, would... This was a harder... Uh, worse. <laughs> this, I think, was a yeah. harder one. So, uh, Yeah, so that is going to be our show for this week. Tune in next week when I think we're going to have a full crew and we'll do something really fun. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the War Games Orchard. If you enjoy the show why not join us on Patreon? There you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation. It's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard and The War Games Orchard or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com.